Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome to episode 31 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week, we will be covering true crime and paranormal stories from Arkansas. Arkansas. (laughs) Mom is covering the paranormal and she is like super psyched about it this week. I am. I am. (laughs) She also made the cocktail. I did. And um, well, Arkansas has many. (laughs) Arkansas. (laughs) Oh. You have a lot of Arkansinians <laughs> mad at you. What do you call them? <laughs> what do you call them? Arkansans? <laughs> Aardvarks? No. <laughs> so looking up the drink of Arkansas, I really found a lot of different things. And Fireball was one of them, which I love Fireball. I love Fireball. I should have used that. Fireball. <laughs> um, and the other one had like coffee and tequila and all this stuff in it i thought that was just a bit too much so uh, then on another side it said bourbon and sprite okay but i know that you don't really like bourbon Mm -hmm. so i thought hey how about we do seven and seven it's about the same idea so that's why i made (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) have you ever had a seven and seven I, I've not had a seven and seven and I'm really not seeing any ties to Arkansas. Well, because the bourbon and Sprite. So I, so then I changed it to seven and seven. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so bourbon and Sprite is like Arkansas's, one of Arkansas's favorite drinks. According to what that different site. And one of the, uh, it was BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed oh. said that uh, bourbon and Sprite was the drink of Arkansas. Okay. So, so I just went with that. Okay. So what is a seven and seven? It is Seagram seven, which is like a whiskey. Seagram seven. And I put um, a shot. <laughs> God. I How many sh- shots did you? <laughs> she froze for a second. What did you do? I put a shot of <laughs> Seagram seven it, amongst ice. I filled the glass with ice. And then I poured <laughs> in Sprite. <laughs> We're getting there, guys. We're getting... Okay. So I filled the glass with ice. Mm-hmm. We got put that. a shot of Seagram 7 in it. Got that. Filled the rest of the glass with Sprite. Okay. And then put a squeeze of lime in there. Okay. 7 and 7. All Cheers. Right. Cheers, Mama. That is dangerously super tasty. It's good, isn't it? Yes. It's very refreshing, so it, and so it's so it, easy it to whisk, make. Is it whiskey? I don't taste whiskey. It's it's called Seagram Seven. I mean, that's really the name of it, and it's made for seven and seven. Well, it's very good. It is super refreshing. It's easy to drink. Mm-hmm. I drank this in my youth. <laughs> and look how you turned out. I don't know. And Put it down, it. ladies and gentlemen. Put it down. Okay, listeners, and... Mama, of course. I have another unsolved cold case for you all. Oh, I do like these. My true crime story this week may lead to a little bit of a tangent on my end, but it is something that I really want to spread awareness of. So we'll get there. Let's just start with my story first. All right. My story takes place in Little Rock, Arkansas. It is 2015 and Ebby Jane Stepick is 18 years old in that rebellious stage of life. We've all been there. (laughs) Oh, you haven't, darling. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) So she has just started her senior year at high school, and this year she is attending a new school, Little Rock Central High School. Leading up to this year, she had only attended a private school her whole life. Oh, big difference. This year, she wanted to branch out. 
She was very bubbly, had lots of friends, loved the beach and the color purple. She always made people laugh. Her mom said she would never leave a room without making somebody laugh. Hmm. Like I mentioned before, she was also very rebellious. Her mom said it all started when she got her first car, a little silver Volkswagen Passat. With this car, Ebby got a little sense of independence and ran with it, I think. The summer before her senior year, she started a new job at the local Foot Locker. And this is where her parents believed is, quote, when they started losing her, unquote. She started hanging out with a new set of friends. And from what the parents could tell, weren't the best influences on the teen. Oh, no. She started bouncing around between living with her parents, her older brother Trevor, and her grandparents, sometimes even crashing at friends' houses. Uh-oh. On October 20th, Ebby's friend Danielle received a Snapchat message from Ebby. The two had gone to school together at the private school and had remained friends. The message read, Hey, I know this is a lot to ask, but is there any way your mom would let me stay the night? So apparently she'd gotten to some kind of fight with her parents mm-hmm. and this is just something she did. She just ran from it. In an interview with Danielle, she said that Ebby would do that quite frequently. Oh. And that Ebby thought of her house as kind of like a safe place. Like I mentioned, the two had gone to school together at the private school and had stayed friends. Danielle was not too fond of Ebby's new friends at her new school. She told Ebby on several different occurrences that they were the wrong crowd for her. But Ebby's a teenager, and like I said, we've all been there, and she liked her new friends. Ebby mm-hmm. did go and crash at Danielle's that night. The next day, October 21st, Danielle had a doctor's appointment in the morning, and Ebby offered to drive her to school after the doctor's appointment. The doctor's appointment was running late, so Danielle texted Ebby, quote, Hey, if I'm going to make you late to school, you can go on. Paula said you can feel free to eat anything and make yourself at home. I think that's her mom. Okay. Ebby replied, quote, No, it's not a big deal at all. I swear. I really don't want to go anyway because there's all that drama. Unquote. Danielle didn't know what drama Ebby was referring to. Ebby just skipped school completely that Wednesday. Come the weekend, Ebby is ready to cut loose. That Friday evening, she attends a party. Danielle doesn't go with her because she didn't know anybody at the party. And again, she didn't really like Ebby's new friends. Mm -hmm. And something terrible ends up happening at this party. The next morning, so Saturday morning, October 24th, things are off. Ebby tells Danielle that she is going to go visit with her older brother, Trevor, because he hadn't seen her in a while. Now, when she leaves, she texts her close friend. His name is Gage. Quote, I was hanging out with some dudes last night and we smoked and I had sex with one of them and he recorded me, dude, like when I wasn't looking, unquote. She doesn't tell him who did it, but she said she felt forced to it. Her last text to him was, quote, I'm going to go kill myself, unquote. Oh, no. She heads to her grandparents' house and they claim she just hung out around the house, watched SpongeBob SquarePants in the living room. And that afternoon, the three of them went out for frozen yogurt together. In the early evening, Ebby's stepdad, Michael, gets a text from her. She tells him what happened that night at the party as well. And she is absolutely enraged at this point. She's texting him and she tells him that she had been gang raped by a few of the guys at the party. And she claims that they recorded it all. They talk back and forth about details of the evening. And she asks that he goes with her to the police station. Mm Mm-hmm. He texts her and tells her that he is headed to her grandparents' house, which is where she was. When he gets there, she wasn't there. The grandparents tell him that she had left and she had told them that she was going out to meet up with Michael, the stepdad. Right. Her last words being, quote, I'll be back. Don't lock the door. I'll be back to spend the night, unquote. Michael believes, because of the anger she had in her text messages back and forth, that she possibly had gone out on her own to face the guys who had the video of her. Oh, no, no. The family starts calling her over and over and over again with no response from Abby. That Sunday, October 25th, Trevor, her older brother, continues to call. And then suddenly she picks up. Where are you? He asks her. She says, I'm out in front of your house. He says, cool, 
and then he hangs up and heads outside. But Ebby's not there. Hmm? He goes back inside and calls her back. Again, thank goodness she answers. Where are you? He asks her again. Ebby responds, but she kind of sounds like discombobulated and she's slurring. Quote, I'm messed up. So her brother just keeps asking, where are you? She says, I'm in my car. And he says, where's your car? She says, I don't know. And she hangs up. Oh, no. He tries to reach her again and again, but she doesn't answer. Right away, he calls the police. He tells them what happened and asks that they look for her car, a silver Passat. Trevor and the rest of the family are told that a missing person case can't be started until she had been missing for 12 hours. Police treat the case as a runaway and the family goes out searching all on their own. Even though she was so distraught and she might have been totally messed up and not known where she was. The police took the stance of, well, she just did some drugs and she's effed up and that's not our problem. Unknowing to the family, Guy Hopper, a security guard for a Little Rock City Park called Chalamont Park, calls in an abandoned car at the park, a silver Volkswagen Passat. Police go and check out the vehicle a couple days later. Mm. Now, I can't give an actual day here because the case hasn't been covered all that much, and the date was different in what few sources I had, like local newspaper and stuff, but... Let it be known the police did not go and search the car the day Guy called. Some resources even claimed it to be two days before they went out to the park. Good. Well, but was this the same precinct or whatever that the brother had called? Is it one department? I mean, did they know that? Yeah. No, this is all one department that dealt with this case. Okay. So upon inspecting the vehicle, they see that the battery is dead. Very low fuel, as well as her purse, wallet, medication, cell phone, contact lenses, and makeup are strewn around the car. Mm. Now, her mom, Lori, was adamant that Ebby would never treat her makeup in this way. I guess she was like a makeup fanatic. She loved doing makeup. She's like a makeup artist. Interesting. And she had like very expensive makeup that she kind of babied. She would never just toss it around her car. Mm Mm-hmm. And another point she made, too, was what 18-year-old would leave their cell Cell phone? phone. Mm -hmm. The car was found in a small lot near some woods. The park, the woods, and all the surrounding area was searched. Months passed and Ebby was not found. Mm. The family was so disappointed with how the police department was handling the case. When Ebby's parents received her car back from Little Rock Police, the interior and many of her personal belongings were were water damaged. Huh? The police had left the trunk open in the impound lot, leaving everything to be damaged by rain and storms that moved in. Oh, good grief. The family wrote letters to the government, begging for some kind of help. FBI volunteered to come out and help, but by this time, crucial evidence had already been lost. Mm -hmm. For eight months, the police treated Ebby's case as a runaway case. Michael had even given them the information he knew from the text conversation about the rape accusations. Mm -hmm. He even had a few names from the text messages, but it didn't seem like any of it was looked into. The family, devastated by the work of the police, hired a few different PIs over time. The very first investigator that they hired was Monty Vickers. He looked into phone records and they found that Ebby had called the police twice on the evening of the 25th. Each call being a minute long. So somebody answered. But the Little Rock police claim they have no record of those calls. Text messages showed that she had contacted the men she accused of rape a few times that night as well, threatening to go to the police. Another thing her phone showed was that she stopped opening any messages at all later that night as well, Mm -mm. which is not a good sign. Vickers also went out and interviewed Guy Hopper. That security guard Mm -hmm. guy told Vickers that he was the first to come out and talk to him. It had been months at this point. Oh, that had come out to talk to the security guard. Police never came out to talk to him. Guy told Vickers some very interesting information as well. The information was portrayed on this YouTube video I watched from True Crime Daily. 
Guy told them that when news broke in the local media of Ebby's disappearance and they showed pictures of her on the news and the newspaper, that he recognized her right away. He had seen Ebby out in the woods at the park on three recent occasions. The first time, it was late in the evening, and he went up to three teenagers, Ebby and two young men. He advised them all that it was late and the park was closed and they needed to leave. And they did. Then a few days later, he saw Ebby out in the park again, this time in the back seat of a vehicle with one of the young men from the first time. The third time, he noticed Ebby again with the same young man, this time with another young man as well out on the trail in the woods. With this information, True Crime Daily wanted to test something. They asked him for the description of the young man seen all three times with Ebby in the park. Mm-hmm. He explains he was five six five seven, medium build. Now, what was interesting was True Crime Daily gave him some mug shots to go through, saying, like, if you recognize the guy here, just point him out. If you don't recognize him, it's no big deal. This is just a theory we have. Like, just do you see right. anybody you know? Guy, like, scans the mug shots and points out a photo pretty much right away. He says he's about 70% sure that's that's the guy. That's the guy I saw with her in the woods on all three occasions. Mm -hmm. The mug shots showed some criminals from around the area. But this man in particular that Guy had pointed out had been arrested out in Louisiana during a bust out there for a sex trafficking ring. Oh, no. The men working the ring were from... Little Rock, Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas. Oh, no. This man that Guy pointed out in particular was from Little Rock. The theory of her being sex trafficked haunted the family, especially her mother, for a very long time. They were desperate for answers. So I'm going to kind of use this as a little segue here to go on that tangent I mentioned before. Right. Sex trafficking Mm -hmm. and human trafficking. This is modern day slavery and it's happening all too frequently globally about one in every five people being human trafficked are children these people are being sexually exploited or forced into working labor it is said that human trafficking generates about 150 billion dollars a year in illegal profits There was an exhibit here in Kansas City back in, I believe it was January of this year, at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. It was called the Apathy Effect Exhibit, and it really illustrated the impact of human trafficking. Like, they had this dress that was worn by a woman that was human trafficked. She had been picked up at a resort in Mexico and was trafficked all across the United States into Las Vegas. There was a coffee cup and saucer from a coffee shop in Europe that was used as a front for human trafficking. And there was even a little six-year-old's pair of sandals Mm. from a little girl that was trafficked from the United States and they found her in China. Jeez. Human or sex trafficking is a real life problem, you guys. We are seriously facing it and it's not spoken about enough, I feel. It's not just in the movies we see. It's a reality all over the world. Even in our own cities, every single day. It's on the internet, at amusement parks, at big events like the Super Bowl, or even at your local grocery store. I'm going to read an excerpt from a book called Renting Lacey, a story of America's prostituted children, a call to action by Linda Smith. As the sun sets across the United States tonight, thousands of children are rising to meet the night. They should be in safe homes, in warm beds, being tucked beneath blankets and told bedtime stories. Instead, they sleep into the nocturnal world, dressed for the work of the track. All over the United States, these children are being exploited. In Atlanta, Detroit, New York, Kansas City, New Orleans, Seattle, Anchorage, San Francisco, Fort Lauderdale, Denver, and every major city in the small towns, at truck stops, in every state of the Union, They're being put to work. People say it's their fault, but I don't think so anymore. People call them bad kids, but I don't think so anymore. People say they like it. Some say they deserve it. I don't think so. 
The Center for Missing and Exploited Children estimates that each year, at least 300,000 children are the human products meeting the demand of the sex trafficking industry in the United States alone. The statistics are staggering, but it's the individual stories that are heartbreaking. These are girls as young as 11, girls who haven't reached puberty, children who should be in fifth grade. Many have never attended a school dance never learned how to use the locker, never pondered a class schedule. Their skin is of every color. Some come from good homes and have families searching desperately for them. Others are runaways or children in foster care who have already been victimized and traumatized within the walls of their homes and have no one searching for them. These children had dreams. Some could sing, others danced and put on plays. Some were great at sports or loved to draw and paint. Some girls were shy in advanced classes and liked to read at night. Now they are called ladies of the night, lot lizards, bitches, whores, sluts, hookers, and hoes. They are America's children. They're our neighbors. They're our children's classmates. They're in our very homes. They are our children. We must save them. Unquote. Like I said, this was the theory that haunted Ebby's family. It was Lori, her mother's worst case scenario for her daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ebby was rebellious. Yeah, Ebby was doing drugs. She was sexually active and she partied. She didn't deserve, wouldn't deserve this. No child deserves Nobody this. Nobody deserves no. this. So yeah, maybe she found herself in the wrong group of friends, making the wrong choices, but in no way, shape or form does that make her or anyone else deserving of this terrible crime. If you are in the United States and believe someone may be a victim of human trafficking, call the 24-hour National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. Report an emergency to law enforcement by calling 911. And of course, you'll have that number posted. Of course, I will have that number posted. Okay, I'm going to take a break (laughs) before the tears come. Sorry, that just really hits home for me. Okay, back to the story of poor Ebby. So Tommy Hudson, a retired Little Rock detective, and TJ Ward, a PI. He was actually the PI that worked the Natalie Holloway case. Oh, okay. Ebby's family hired both of them. And one day Hudson went with his gut feeling of searching the drainage pipes around the park where Ebby's car was found. They called out bulldozers and cameras attached to cords They could drop down into the water lines. And with these cameras, they hit an obstruction. What made him think of this? A gut feeling, he said. Ebby's remains were found. They identified her by her jewelry. It had been three years. Holy Since Ebby had gone missing. And she was a total of 60 feet away from her car. Mm. Actually, she had been moved that far away because... Water from rain over the last three years. So she was even closer. She had probably been much closer to her car. Now, Hudson does say that the autopsy and looking at the body medical examiners did determine a preliminary cause of death. But this information has not been shared with the public. The case is now an open homicide investigation. Okay. And I have more phone numbers for you guys. If you or someone you know knows anything about Ebby and this case, the family urges you to call Tommy Hudson, the lead investigator of the case, um, 501-404-3128, or you can email him at thudson at littlerock.gov. Again, I will post this stuff as well. But the whole case is just so crazy to me because of how long the police treated it as a runaway. As a runaway. Even after her car was found, it just wasn't dug into deep enough. And like... A report made in 2017 did show that the accused men in the rape had been questioned at the time, but no cell phone records or searches were made on their cell phones. Oh, so they didn't even like look for the video or look at the text messages to see if they even threatened her or she threatened them so they could kind of get a clear visual. They didn't check cell phone records and the grandparents of Ebby the ones to last see her alive Mm -hmm. besides her killer. Of course they were not interviewed until a year and a half after Ebby went missing. What is wrong with this picture? I I doesn't, 
I don't know whether an 18-year-old cell phone is not with her and that stuff strewn around the car. Hey, hello, there's red flags all over this there place. There's red flags everywhere. And it just very upsetting case. So it wasn't sex trafficking or it was or so we don't know? We don't know. We really don't know. You know, my head obviously goes to like try to look at the obvious that she was murdered probably by one of the guys that she was threatening of, you know, turning in the mm-hmm. for the rape ac- accusations. But but then again, I guess they were looked into and nothing was found. I don't know. Oh, that's just. But she was gone. You know, she was gone. She was right there by her car the whole time, which is so unfortunate. But for three years, your daughter is gone. And so her parents really did put a lot of thought and effort. And that's why they hired so many PIs thinking that she had been human trafficked. Right. I thought that was kind of a good segue because, you know, in her case, I don't think she was. We don't know. But. For a long time, that was kind of her mom's worst fear. The idiot doing the interview on True Crime Daily, he was interviewing Lori, the mom, and he was like, so best case scenario is she is being sex sex trafficked and she's out there and we can find her. And she just looks at him and she's like, Uh, that is the worst case scenario. Like, I wanted to strangle him through the camera. Like, Like, no. Do you know what you're saying? Because you obviously don't even know what this is. No. And she was like, I hope she, my daughter is dead and is at peace. Jeez. But even that the mom has to even say that is just so gut wrenching. Yeah. I was listening to something about sex trafficking and how little we realize that it's going on right underneath our noses. Right under our noses. I mean, even in smaller towns. Mm -hmm. But I did hear Kansas City is um, kind of a huge sex trafficking location and it no just... it's huge um actually when i worked in a salon when i was doing hair we had a local fbi agent come into the salon and educate us on what to look for um for when girls or you know little girls older girls whatever when women come in to get their hair done by us i love that our owner had that happen mm-hmm. and he really educated us in the fact that they have a big core of fbi agents in Kansas City for that very reason. Um, it's such a huge hub. And that really scared the living daylights out of me. And right. I was just, a, you know, a 23-year-old at the time. Um, gosh, it's just, it's it's terrifying. But, you know, some of the things that he told us to look out for, or it's just if a, if a man is not leaving the girl's side, if, you know, she could act totally normal, but he's sitting there in the waiting room and, I mean, they groom them from such a young age Mm -hmm. sometimes that the girls don't even necessarily know. It's it's a horrible today situation Mm -hmm. that you're right. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And it's um, it's sad. So have a drink, darling. Yes, please. (sighs) Oh, you've been drinking. Okay, I'm going to take you away from this. Please do. And I'm going to take you to the Crescent Hotel. (gasps) Yay. Please lighten things up, Mama. (laughs) Now, you and I are both very familiar with Eureka Springs because my mother used to live there. But I'm going to go kind of through the Crescent Hotel's history just because it has a lot of bearing on the spirits that live there now. Yes. (laughs) So the Crescent Hotel's history falls in line with the history of the town of Eureka. And if you remember, honey, spring water that was supposed to cure everything. Do you remember? Oh, I remember. Going mm-hmm. up. Yep. So I guess there was 60, six zero springs, which supplied water in and around Eureka Springs. And in 1854, pioneer doctor Alva Jackson started using the healing waters provided by these springs in his practice after his son's eye infection was healed, supposedly by the water. After the Civil War, Jackson invited his friend Judge Sanders. I don't think it's Colonel Sanders. I was just going to say, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> for a visit, offering the healing waters as a cure for a leg sore. Within two months, the leg was totally healed. 
and the excited judge was sharing his experience far and wide, which brought people into Eureka Springs for the miraculous water. People came from all over looking for a cure to what ailed them. The water was said to cure everything from baldness to um, female troubles to hay fever to cancer. I mean, that's a gamut. Holy cow. Everything. The town became a draw for the sick as well as the wealthy wanting a place to vacation. And you and I know that it is an absolute beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's so little cute. We used to go all the time and my grandmama worked in a clothing store down on like Main Street. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting ice cream from like a super old ice cream parlor and then we would take those old fashioned pictures. I'll have to find one and post it for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So the town became a draw for the sick as well as the wealthy wanting a place to vacation. And this brings us to the building of the Crescent Hotel, or she is also called the Grand Old Lady of the Ozarks. Oh, she's fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Very bougie. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, if you recall... The hotel sits on top of this hill overlooking yeah. the Oh, yeah. Hole. It overlooks so the whole... It is yeah. kind of like a grand... I remember seeing it and kind of gave me a spooky vibe, but go on. <laughs> I'm sure we're getting there. <laughs> Isaac Taylor was the architect of the hotel, and he actually brought stonework specialists from Ireland to help build the hotel. Oh, wow. So 18-inch stones were cut from the nearby quarry, and they were cut so exact that the walls were fitted without mortar. Holy cow. That whole hotel. And it's not little. My OCD would have been very happy. (laughs) (laughs) So the hotel opened its doors on May 1st, 1886, as a year-round resort. Sitting on the highest point of West Mountain, the hotel looks over the town of Eureka, as we said, and the hotel was furnished with the latest addition of lamps and electric bells, as well as a sewage system and a st- and steam heat that came up through open grates. A newspaper described the Crescent, saying, At the foot of the main staircase in the basement, there are billiard rooms. These lead into a bowling alley, under the promenade, leading from the south porch. Outside, a park surrounds the hotel with tennis courts and gardens. Wow. So, this sounds beautiful, of course, and very Mm -hmm. inviting. But along with all this beauty, the inside and outside takes a lot of money. Oh, yes. To keep it up. I would imagine so. Unfortunately... The U.S. and, well, every place went kind of through the downfall. And so people didn't have as much money and people didn't come to Eureka as often. And the hotel fell into disrepair. In 1908, it opened as the Crescent College and Conservatory for young women. Prominent families sent their daughters here to learn in a time when very few women had the opportunity for higher learning. Oh, the college closed in 1924. Oh, so it wasn't for very long. It didn't last super long. And then reopened in 1930 as a junior college, but this only lasted for four years. In 1937, the hotel was bought by Norman Baker, who turned the hotel into a hospital and health resort, claiming he had the cure for cancer without surgery or any kind of radiation. The Springs? Mm. Many flocked to the Crescent for treatment. Let me add here that Baker was not a doctor. Oh, no. He was a ruthless swindler. And his very expensive cure, quote, quote, for cancer, (laughs) quote, quote, (laughs) Formula 5, which consisted of alcohol, glycerol, Corn syrup. And stop you there. Man, we're, we're curing cancer with our drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Corn silk, ground watermelon seeds, oh. clover, water, and carbolic acid. Mm, nope. <laughs> the formula was drinks. injected at the cancer sites up to seven times a day. How 
talked about carbolic acid and acid in like a couple of our podcasts now and is always in the paranormal this is i think the third time and i think it's all it's me. always been you <laughs> oh no it's foreshadowing or something but now we know what it is from the first time we weren't quite sure but it's a cleaning that's really very odd and the patients were made of course to drink plenty of the healing spring water needless to say these treatments did not work no and many if not all of the patients seeking help died terrible painful deaths Ugh, this should be the true crime story this would be a true crime story this didn't seem to bother baker who ugh, you just seeing a picture of him i mean he gives me the heebie-jeebies in this picture that i saw and it's probably a picture that you'll his eyes man his eyes in this one picture i think it's actually his um jail picture what they call that his mugshot his mugshot <laughs> god oh i think boy. it's actually his mugshot it's creepy as heck Ugh. no anyway to me it is so baker flaunted the money he made by wearing dark chalk striped three-piece suits in the winter and white suits and matching shoes in the summer and always always wore lilac shirts in fact, he liked the color so much that he redecorated the Crescent Hotel with lilac and lavender everywhere. So just a bunch of purple. Yeah. Baker was arrested in 1939 for, hold it, yeah. mail fraud. Oh, I thought you were going to say the B word. <laughs> mail fraud because of the bogus brochures he sent out claiming that only he had the cure for cancer. Okay, so all the people dying. Okay. Anyway. could not be charged with the murders as his what? formula didn't actually kill anyone. Oh, what a con man. He was sentenced to four years for mail in, fraud in leavenworth prison for mail fraud for mail fraud for mail fraud mail fraud mail fraud before his arrest he had made about 10 million dollars holy cow and after his release he spent the rest of his life in florida he died in miami in 1958 i read that he kind of he lived mostly on his yacht Oh, so he really suffered the consequences. Yeah. He died in what 1958 of cirrhosis of the liver. And one report I read mentioned also that he died of cancer. <laughs> oh, karma. <laughs> Which I really hope is true. Oh, I'm sorry. Karma. I shouldn't wish that on anyone, but yeah. So I told you all about the history of the Crescent. And I know that when I do this paranormal part, I usually go into a lot of history just because I think it adds to... But Oh, absolutely. I told you about the history of the Crescent because it and the deaths that happened there are the reason the Crescent has been labeled the most haunted hotel in the U.S. I know. Mm. Don't, you, don't roll Stanley your face. Stanley Motel. Don't do roll your one. face at me. <laughs> one of the first deaths was an Irish man named Michael who was working on the hotel's construction in 1885. He supposedly fell from the second floor to the first and died. Room 218 was built on the site of his death. Oh. Michael messes with the lights, the doors, and the electronics. Guests have also reported hearing a man scream. And one guest even said that they saw blood on the walls and hands coming out of the mirror. Oh, gosh. That is horrifying. That was very horrifying. I <laughs> reading that oh okay i'm gonna come back to room 218 shortly okay the basement of the hotel is said to be one of the more haunted places in the hotel guests and visitors have said that they feel sick see lights going on and off see strange orbs some have even reported seeing baker's ghost this makes sense as the basement was the morgue while baker was in residence there when a patient died, he or she would be brought to the basement and refrigerated and later autopsied by Baker. Wait, so he did the autopsy? He's not even a doctor. No, no. 
This is probably when he preserved the hundreds of jars of body parts specimens that were recently unearthed. So hold on, back up. He was performing autopsies and he wasn't a doctor. And then he is keeping things in jars. <laughs> he's keeping body parts in jars and then he's burying them and they were well, just recently, just a few years ago. I what's mean, even the point of that, though? I have no idea. What's he, what did, what? To claim that he got rid of the cancer? I, I don't know. So then he wouldn't be lying? He did tell the truth? He, he didn't got cut rid out of the, the cancer. cancer? That's sick. I mean, I don't know if that was... I have no idea. But even if that isn't true, that is, that's weird. And he saved it all. He saved it all. And then he buried it in this hill. He's right like by the ultimate the serial killer then. He is. And he got away with it. Exactly. The ultimate serial killer. Because then he even got to hack into these people. He was, he was just sick. And they were just secretly taken down to the morgue. And he secretly did this so the other patients didn't even realize what was going on. That is terrifying. And Do you know the number of people that were... No, died? like I said, they found hundreds, and that's with an S, of jars of body parts they unearthed. Oh, my gosh. And like I said, that was just recent. Like a few years ago is when they found this. I'm sorry, I don't know the exact date, but I know it was a few years ago. Another room in the hotel that guests have witnessed activity in is room 419. This once was Theodora's room. She was a former cancer patient who, of course, died in that room. People have reported hearing someone fumbling for their keys outside of their door, hmm. but then no one's there. Others say that their belongings seem to have been gone through. Some guests have even reported that their suitcases have been found at the top of the stairs. Remember that happened at the Stanley, too? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Packed and ready to go. Oh. According That's to the kind of ghost again that I want to take <laughs> home with me. No, you don't. <laughs> According to reports from the hotel's housekeepers, Theodora is actually a very kind spirit who will introduce herself as a patient and then vanish. What? Remember, I told you the hotel was once a women's college. Right. The story goes that during that time, a young woman fell to her death from the top floor. No one knows if she was pushed. Or she fell on her own doing. But guests have seen a woman standing on a top floor balcony and hear screams as if from a woman falling. That's, that's, no, that's so scary. Not all the ghosts at the Crescent Hotel reside there because of their deaths. Just like the Stanley Hotel, guests have enjoyed their stay at the Crescent and perhaps have come back to the hotel after their deaths. In the crystal dining room in the very early hours, Victorian figures have been seen dressed in evening attire, dancing oh and drinking. Could one of these couples be Irene Castle and husband Vernon, who were the best known ballroom dancers of the early 20th century? Irene moved to Eureka after her husband's death to be with her son. She would often visit the Crescent for some much-missed social life. <laughs> Another figure that is often spotted is a quiet, well-dressed man having a drink. And another is a man who repeatedly says he's waiting for the beautiful girl that he met the previous night. Oh, that's so sad. In the dining room's mirror, hotel workers and guests have reported seeing the spirits of a bride and a groom. Wow. Man, it is like a party over there. <laughs> These ghosts aren't really scary or aggressive, but they kind of like to play pranks on the hotel staff, moving things around at night. One Christmas, decorations and the tree were moved to across the room. What? <laughs> and menus were scattered all across the floor. That's weird. <laughs> there is no report of a child dying at the hotel. But the shape of a little boy skipping around the halls and playing in the kitchen has been reported by guests and staff 
perhaps, it's this little boy that's responsible for pots and pans flying off their hooks in the kitchen. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So as you can imagine, the beautiful hotel is not only a draw to people wanting to visit Eureka Springs, but also people drawn to the hotel because of the ghosts. Because obviously... There are quite a few there. quite a few, yeah. So Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures are just two of the TV shows that have visited the Crescent Hotel to document paranormal activity. Because of all the documented activity, the Crescent is often booked months in advance. Oh, wow. There are also ghost tours available for those that want to just visit and not stay at... Didn't you go on one? It is one of these ghost tours that my sister, my mother, and I went on in 2008. That's right. <laughs> oh, it was a lot of fun, and it was interesting. My sister and I lagged behind the group so I could take pictures. Of course, this is with the, gosh, dated cell phone. So I'm like walking backwards, and she's telling me <laughs> where to walk and what's back of me as I'm snapping shots going, I know I'm going to catch orbs. I know I am. I know I am. <laughs> Did you? I actually caught a lot of orbs in the basement. Oh. You know, where the morgue was? Yeah. I caught a lot of cool looking orbs. Oh, wow. Oh, we didn't hear any screams and we didn't see any spirits or anything like that. I have to be honest there. But one really strange thing happened and it scared the heck out of me. Or like I say, I like to say the bejesus out of me. So... I'm snapping away on my cell phone, taking pictures of the hallways and staircases because I know I'm going to catch a spirit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we get to room 218. Uh -huh. Remember the yeah. where Michael died? The room where people have witnessed seeing Michael the Mason. Our tour guide was talking about the tragedy when all of a sudden the name Patrick just pops into my head as loud as anything. And I turned to my sister and I said, I think his name was Patrick. Oh, I was looking all over to see if maybe his name was Michael Patrick. I don't know. Right. But that name was so loud and clear to me when the tour guide was talking. Um, then I thought it would be cool to take a picture of the door knocker. So it, all the... Um, all the hotel rooms have door knockers on, like the old time door knockers yeah. on them. Like Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, but they didn't have any lion faces <laughs> or anything like that on them. And it's, so it's the room number and the door knockers underneath the room number. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to take a picture of yeah. 218, you know, the door with the door knocker underneath it. So these are, like I said, there's nothing special. And as I was taking the picture, nothing special is... 218 with the door knocker. But then when we got home and we're looking at the pictures I had taken and I got to that one and I almost threw the phone to the ground. The picture of the door knocker of 218, it didn't show a door knocker at all, but instead I wish I could describe it because it it was this horrible screaming tortured face. It was the face of a man and it was thin and it was almost like the painting the scream yeah but it wasn't i i could see a man not not a painting and his mouth was just opened in this terrifying scream i can't even describe it to you i actually i did i screamed out loud when i saw it and then i showed it to my sister and then i showed it to the people that we were staying with yeah and i was like what do you see here and they all of them saw the same thing. Oh, my gosh. And I took it off my phone. It scared <laughs> me so Mom. much. I know. I'm sorry. I took the whole thing <sighs> off my phone. I couldn't I couldn't bear to have it on my phone. That's how demon-like it was. Why do you think the name Patrick came to you? I have no idea. I have no idea. But it was clear as day. It's so weird. And I'm so mad at you for deleting that picture. <laughs> I hate that I didn't see it. Of course, you know, I didn't know that years later we'd be doing a podcast and we could have posted I it. I know. But. That could have been like <laughs> disappointing I just saw, mom. Disappointing. <laughs> I just saw my sister, as you know, recently. I was like, I have looked everywhere for pictures of our, visit there. our Eureka trip. And I can't find any. 
I don't know where they are. I have no idea. Of course, this is all digital. Well, they're all on that old phone. Yeah, but a lot of pictures got transferred over to my new phone. I mean, I don't know. You know, so I was like, okay, Chris, do you have any pictures from that trip, that one trip to Eureka with mom? Yeah. She couldn't find any of hers either. What? So all of her pictures from the last trip we took with my mother before she passed away in 08 are gone. Both my sister's and mine. They're gone. Totally. Poof. All of them. Poof. Poof. Boom. Poof. Pictures gone. So that's the Crescent Hotel, which I would... Chris said she wants to go We should do a girls girls trip, trip. the four of us. You, me, Aunt Chris, and Katie. Yep. Katie, do you hear us? (laughs) Do you hear that? (laughs) Take some work off your busy doctor emergency room schedule and... uh, Meet, Meet us, us at the Crescent, at the Crescent. Hotel <laughs> in front of room 218. Ask for Patrick. <laughs> I am just so mad at you, though, that you can't find those pictures and you deleted them. Don't be mad at me. Oh, there's a difference between a spirit and a demon. You think that's what it was? I do. Oh. There was nothing spirit-like about this. It was more demonic than anything else. Well, it could have just been like a traumatized soul, too. And it could have just been my imagination. <laughs> and it could have just been, and mom can't take a picture to save her life. And it was just a blurred My pictures are picture. blurry anyway. So it was probably oh my this gosh. really great blurry picture of a door knocker. Yes. <laughs> guys. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying your beverages while you're enjoying our podcast. This was another fun episode, mom. It was. Arkansas. Arkansas and next week we will be covering New Mexico that's right that's right I have an awesome idea for a story I want to cover for the paranormal I'm pretty excited about what I found too well if you weren't like my mother and you didn't delete your pictures and you have pictures to send us from the crescent or another haunted place you've been email us or post them and tag us you can email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We do have a Patreon account with two extra full episodes on there. And the stories are little additions to the stories that, that we tell on the podcast. Yeah. And Beth goes into some really interesting details. So it's worth it. $5 it a month. It's not much. You can find us on patreon.com backslash killer hangover podcast. <sighs> well, this is another fun one, mom. It was. Cheers, mama. Love you, kid. <laughs>